ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus. Aren't there enough of these pluses out there? Well, not yet. Yes, it's Lance and Matt Plus, a new podcast presented by WFOB and WBBI. Okay, now we've got enough pluses. So let's join Lance Morris and Matt Kaufman for Lance and Matt Plus. Welcome on into this edition of Lance and Matt Plus, a podcast exclusively heard on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, along with Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI, WFOB.com, and WBVI.com. I'm Lance Morris. He's Matt Common. Matt, how are we doing? A merry turkey day eve to you all. That is how I'm doing right now. It is a wonderful day. We're, we're getting this recorded fairly early on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So if you have not gone out into the battlefield yet, known as the grocery store on this day, I, I remind you, elbow guards are important. You want to have the shin guards turned around. So if anyone tries to clip you on the back of your legs to steal your turkey, you can be defended. And always remember a swift but aggressive strike towards the thorax and the throat will take down a defender in the event they're trying to steal your cranberry sauce. That is important to understand on today, the most aggressive food shopping day on the calendar year. But other than that, I'm ecstatic. We got a fun show lined up and it's just good to hear the Lance and Matt plus music. Once again, that's such a fun intro. I I always enjoy when we get to do one of these. So it's going to be fun. So let's get after it. Of course, please rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. That's so you can help this pass and project of Matt and myself grow. An exciting episode here today for the 12th edition, at least with both of us of Lance and Matt, plus aside from Matt's couple what-if episodes, he has also done what you can find on the feed below. We talk as we do every week. We talk on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. We hope you've been listening to Matt and I broadcast live from the Frickers every Wednesday from 6 to 7.30. We'll talk with the guy we talk to for that every week. We'll talk to Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com. Buckeyes coming off that big win against Michigan State. They take on Michigan in Ann Arbor this Saturday afternoon. We'll also have a tier list for all Thanksgiving foods so you know exactly what you should and what you should not put on your plates come this Thanksgiving holiday. And we'll also do a draft for the best athletes of all time. We'll talk about all that and more coming up. But we'll be joined here by Kevin Harris in just a moment here on Lance and Matt Plus. Back we are here for Lance and Matt Plus holiday edition of the podcast this week. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. The Ohio State Buckeye football team comes off a big win against Michigan State. This Saturday they take on a Michigan pregame. For that starts at 10.30 a.m. Kickoff comes at noon. You can listen to Ohio State football on ESPN 14.30 a.m. 105.7 FM WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com. Kevin, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you guys? Good. Thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. And it was uh, certainly not the game I was expecting at least that quickly for Ohio State with the big win over Michigan State. What were what were some of the big things you saw? You know, it, it turns out that's just what happens when you have the uh, best passing attack in the country against the worst passing defense in the country. You know, I, I, I think it was the score was a little lopsided, um, you know, but 
when you look at the numbers, I guess that should have been what we expected, but it it wasn't. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, that still was the number seven team in the country. Uh, as terrible as their past defense was, um, you know, you're still playing a Heisman contending running back, and they absolutely shut him down. I think he had like 23 yards on six carries and pretty much was just shut down the entire first half. Um, Michigan State couldn't get their passing attack going. It, it was dominance on both sides of the ball for, you know, at least the first half. Um, the uh, the Buckeyes, I mean, I, frankly, for the second week in a row against a top 20 team, the game was over at halftime. So uh, I, I think that's what you want to see. Um, it looks like Ohio State is rounding into form as uh, the season closes and they need to be at their best. So... Kevin, you and I spoke a little bit during the game, but we we, we were exchanging tweets, you know, as the cool kids do nowadays. Um, CJ Stroud won the Heisman this past Saturday, right? I mean, you you look for that Heisman moment, and I I mean, 432 yards and six touchdowns against the number seven team in the country at the time. That that is that Heisman moment, right? I mean, this is the game that they're going to look at especially the fact he went 32 of 35 as the deciding factor between him, Kenneth Walker, and even though he had a good game in his own right, Bryce Young for Alabama. It kind of, seems like this pretty much locks it in for him at this stage. Now it's just a matter of not screwing it up, right? Right, yeah, he's, he definitely is in the, the driver's seat right now. Um, I hesitate to say that he is absolutely going to win the Heisman at this point. Because Bryce Young, I mean, he reminded us that he is also a very good quarterback. He threw for 500 yards and uh, five touchdowns or something like that uh, shortly after um, C.J. Stroud put up, up his performance. So it's not set in stone yet, but C.J. Stroud is the clear favorite at this point. And more than that, I, I think C.J. Stroud can improve his stock even further. Like you're, you're saying that um, we're going to look back and see uh, this Michigan State game is, um, you know, his Heisman moment. And it's like, well, maybe but he's also got a game against, you know, the number five team in the country on the road with basically a big 10 title game and uh, the college football playoff on the line. And he, after that, if Ohio State wins that game, he'll have another game against uh, probably a Wisconsin team that has uh, with all respect to Georgia, statistically the best defense in the country. So uh, I don't think those games are necessarily going to hurt him. Like even if he has an average performance against Wisconsin, like I, I think that he'll, he'll still be, um, pretty solidly in the top especially if Bryce Young falters against Georgia but the point is that he can even improve his stock like that that was an that was an incredible performance but what if he does that against Michigan what if he does that against Wisconsin you know so that's why I think he's in the driver's seat right now because he can fully uh really extend that that lead that he already has um and there's really not so much of a um, there, outside of Bryce Young dropping 500 yards against Georgia, I, I'm just not sure that he can catch him if CJ Stroud keeps playing up those potential. Talk with Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com here on Lance and Matt Plus. And you look at what the uh, Buckeyes did defensively. Uh, I got to be at Skull Session and I got to hear what Haskell Garrett had to say. And he certainly was not lying when he said what they were going to do to Michigan State. What can you What can you say about the defense and how they were able to limit Kenneth Walker so much? Oh yeah. I, I mean, it was all the defensive line. Um, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned on the show last week, uh, but it, it's been a thing that I um, have noticed. Nobody really seems to be talking about this, but only over like two thirds of Kenneth Walker's yardage comes after contact. 
And everyone likes to talk about how great that is for Kenneth Walker. And it is, he's, he's a great running back and it's incredible that he's done that. But what does that say about Michigan state's offensive line? And, um, I, I think the reality is that Michigan State's offensive line has not been good this season. It's never been good this season. And um, Kenneth Walker is a Heisman contender despite his offensive line, not because of it. So I, I think Ohio State really took advantage of that. Um, you saw really just them owning the point of attack. That's where it started, the, the defensive line. I mean, every the entire defensive line was named the player of the week for, for this game. And that's not an accident. Like, they, they dominated the game. They set the tone. Um, you know, when you have a Heisman contending running back that ends ends with six carries for 25 yards because you're completely taking him out of the game, um, that, you know, that says something about your defensive performance. So I, I think all in all, it started with the defensive line. And um, when your defensive line sets the tone like that, it makes everything easy, really, really, really easy on the rest of the team. Um, you know, if the defensive line is getting a push like that, then your linebackers, it's a lot easier for them to make plays. You're uh, corners don't have to guard so long in coverage and you know there were a few third downs here and there but all in all I mean it, it was the first team defense shut out the number seven team in the country into Heisman contending running back and that's exactly what you want it was it was kind of shades of uh not quite the same dominance but it was kind of shades of um of that Wisconsin game uh back in 2014 when Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing and shut out Melvin Gordon who was also a Heisman contender at that point yeah I actually want to stick with Kenneth Walker here for a little bit because it, it it really struck me last week when you did mention that, that he, with how bad his offensive line is that he's been doing as good as he has so far this season. So I, I guess, but before I get into my actual Ohio State question, which concerns the ground game too from this past week, would you say it's a fair assessment to say that Kenneth Walker is the best running back in college football this season? It, because of he, the fact he's doing this in spite of his offensive line. And then on the flip side of that, w- would you make the argument that Travion Henderson is probably just in that tier right under him, even over guys like Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, um, Kieran Williams, if I'm, or Johnson, if I'm saying his name correctly, from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I'm mixing that up for Kyron Lance Williams. who'll correct me. Kyron Williams, thank you. But what, would you put Travion Henderson in that category just under Kenneth Walker then? Yeah, so it, it best gets really hard in college football, especially because sometimes it just comes down to how you're used. Um, you know, like I, I think that um, you look at Ohio State's receivers, for example, and none of them are going to be considered the best receiver in the country or like the the most outstanding receiver in the country but it's probably because that there's three great ones in the same offense and i i think travion henderson in that category he might be the best he he might very well be at kenneth walker's level of talent and uh we might see that at some point but unfortunately you can see his utilization he, he's not playing a whole time um uh, mostly because ohio state is uh dominating teams in in the first quarter and uh you know and ohio state has a stable of running backs that they can just easily put him on the bench and ride mayan williams and master Teague for a while so i think that kind of hurts uh um, travion henderson a little bit but i i think he's every bit as talented as those guys you just might not see it in the stats um but i, I think you can see that in the yards per carry and he's still I, I don't he's not leading the country anymore but he is still uh well up there um every time he touches the ball something happens but um with regards to Kenneth Walker 
I, I think in that same category, one, he is very good. He's, you know, uh, talent wise, he's incredible, but uh, I, I think he's just been by far the most impressive running back this season. Um, you know, I looking at what he's done despite his offensive line, despite the challenges that in the passing game, um, he, he has been that team's offense for this entire season. And um, that is undeniably impressive. Talking with Kevin Harris here from 11warriors.com on Lance and Matt Plus. And we saw, we talked a little bit about the Blitnikoff Award semifinalists that were announced a week ago. We now know the finalists, and none of them are current Buckeye receivers. Jameson Williams from Bama is one of the three finalists. Uh, surprised at all that Alave doesn't end up getting one of those final three spots? Yeah, I, I, I think it's just, I, I don't know how this is voted, to be clear. I don't know if they vote on it if it's just this is just a culmination of all the votes that were made a while ago or if once the finalists are released or once the semifinalists are released they they have like um incremental voting or something like that so i'm not 100 percent sure how it works but i think the fact that ohio state um doesn't have a representative here one i mean it's terrible because obviously I, i you could argue that ohio state should have all three representatives here but it's the clearest indication of a vote getting split um because i mean when it comes down to it people vote for the players that they've seen and so the sec writers are going to vote for jameson williams because he has been the most outstanding receiver in the sec um and when it comes down to it um you have a a, a, quite a vote split from even just big 10 writers you know um you've got josh dotson he could have been there from penn state uh ronnie bell was there um or david bell i'm sorry from uh from Purdue so he, he's a finalist and it's hard to take that away from him he has the best numbers of any receiver in the Big Ten right now um and so I, I think it's a matter of just the vote getting split uh it just so happens that you know maybe the the five best receivers in the country play in the Big Ten so um I I, I think that's what we're seeing here um but I I saw somebody had a very simple solution to the problem they said why don't we just give the award to Brian Hartline instead so um I I I I'm in favor of that one I think Brian Hartline would be in favor of that too on his uh illustrious collegiate career on the field not just coaching but that that does actually bring up a good follow-up question for at least myself do you see any possibility of a splitting the vote happening looking towards something like the Heisman. I, I know we're kind of sticking on awards here, and that's mainly because I refuse to talk about that state up north in any way, shape, or form um, as of yet. We'll get to that in a moment. But but do you see the possibility of, like, Jameson Williams and Bryce Young kind of splitting votes amongst themselves, maybe opening it up even more for C.J. Stroud if he has a big game against that team up north or a big game in the Big Ten title game? kind of deal is yeah. that something that could be the case yeah that's that's possible I I, I think that at this point because on that same token you could even argue that the book could get split with uh CJ Stroud and Kenneth Walker because you've got big 10 writers who are voting for both of those guys so um it, it works both ways but I I think in in that specific category CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are so clearly the it's, it's really a two-person race at this point so I, I'm not sure we're really going to see the votes split so much. I, I think it's really going to come down to uh, um, those two, and that's really going to be everyone's number one and two, uh, or at least most everyone's number one and two. 
Talking with Kevin Harris here from 11warriors.com on Lance and Matt Plus. And let's get into it this week. The Buckeyes take on Michigan and similarly to Michigan State. Not Michigan. It's not Michigan. Yes, it's the team are. up north. It's, it's the team up north. On the scoreboard, it says Michigan. Why? On the scoreboard, it says we're owned by Ohio State. It's been over 3,000 days since they beat Ohio State. They're the team up north. Sorry. Anyway, I'll continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> The Michigan team, another team like Michigan State, because that's the school name. They were another team that we didn't think they were going to be that good this year because, like, both teams struggled a year ago and even more so for Michigan, and people were were calling for Jim Harbaugh to lose his job, and then he got an extension that was funny in and of itself. But then he does turn around, and he has definitely made some improvements to that team this season. What are some of the things we should know about him? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a much better well-rounded team I, I think last year you had um really the same thing that you've seen of a hardball coach team from uh its existence a, pre- a pretty strong defense um a but a, a running game that insisted on um really running an offense from like 2003 where they just pound the pound the ball with a with an average running back and uh, try to make things happen um off of that but I think you're seeing a little more dynamic of an offense this year um, I'm still not going to pretend that they have an incredible passing game or incredible receivers, which is hilarious because they have had incredible receivers the past few years. But, um, you know, it, it, they seem just a little more open to opening the ball up on offense. And, but this is still a defensive-minded team. You know, uh, they've got a pair of defensive ends led by Aiden Hutchinson, who uh, um, gives, gives off extremely Bosa vibes, where he got 97 uh, on the end right there. Um, yeah, he's extremely good. Um, he's kind of the heart and soul of that defense and they make things hard and they have scored a lot of points. It, it, it's just a more well-rounded, better executing team than we've seen previously. And that's showed up in the records. Uh, you know, they've only lost one game and it was a game that they very easily could have won. Kevin, obviously uh, much, much better situation as you just m- really alluded to pretty heavily than what we saw a year ago when we were all cracking jokes about the fact that Jim Harbaugh got that extension. If I recall correctly, I think we had a good bit of fun on this exact program about that talking with you in regards to um, Ohio state, Michigan, but a quick fact I want to present 4k television was created in about 2012 and the last time Ohio State lost to Michigan was before that. So no one has ever watched Michigan beat Ohio State in 4K. That's that's worth mentioning to everybody out there listening. But my, my bigger question to you is, just on a pure hypothetical, why is this year the year that they could upset Ohio State? What what makes this you know, Michigan team different? It. it- the problem is that on paper, they're going against a team that is, I mean, better than them in almost every offensive category. The only thing that I can think uh, could be a problem for Ohio State is CJ Stroud is not loved when he's pressured. Um, you know, at big games when they're able to get a pass rush on him, he, you know, has shown some, you know, freshman, freshman mentality. Uh, he'll throw some passes high. He'll get a little antsy in the pocket sometimes. And, um, to be fair, you haven't seen that so much late in the season, um, and he's looked pretty confident the past couple of games. But if, if they can get a pass rush on C- CJ Stroud, 
um, that's the way that they're going to slow down this offense. Uh, I, I, I think that if they can get it in red zone situations and they can keep Ohio State from scoring, um, you know, on those 45-yard uh, deep routes to Chris Olave and stuff like that, I, I think that's going to be their keys to the game. Uh, the key is going to be on that defense. Um, I, I, I just struggle to think that that offense is going to be able to score enough points to hang with Ohio State because the, the reality is with an offense as good as Ohio State's, slowing down the Ohio State offense means, you know, uh, limiting them to 30 points or limiting them to 28 points or something like that. Um, and so I'm not sure that even if they do that, even if they hold Ohio State well below their scoring average, which is almost like it's upwards of 40 points, I, I, I'm just not sure that Michigan's offense is up to it. I, I'm not sure that Michigan's offense can can win any sort of scoring battle like that. So, um, you know, the only they really have is if their defense can come in and um, really set the tone, shut down Ohio State, and maybe even create some turnovers, create some uh, positive plays to um, help out their offense. Because I, I think that's that's the battle. Everyone's going to want to talk about Ohio State's defense versus Michigan's – or Ohio State's offense versus Michigan's defense. But I think the more important battle is going to be Michigan's offense versus Ohio State's defense. And then this coming week, they get to play Michigan, as we've said before. But they didn't get to play Michigan last year because of because of COVID and how how that impacted things last football season. How much fuel does that add to the fire, really, for for both of these teams for for the matchup this week? Oh yeah, I, I mean it's it's huge. Uh, the, both these teams look forward to this game for you know 365 days a year, and um, when there just magically isn't a game. Uh, that kind of takes away some of the fire from it um, and, you know, puts it towards next year. And, um, you know, there, there's guys, there's freshmen and sophomores who've never played Michigan. There's starters on both teams who um, have played two full seasons, well, a season and a half because COVID shortened the first one um, and, and not played Michigan. And so uh, they've heard about this rivalry. They've, they've prepared for it, but they haven't actually played it. And so I think that's going to be big for both teams. And, and, and you know, for Michigan, there's the narrative that they ducked Ohio State last year, too. And I, I know uh, there have been a couple comments from the players this week, from Michigan players this week, that they don't take too kindly for that because they, you know, they really wanted, they said that they really wanted to play in the game. Um, you know, that, that's a game that they look forward to all year. And uh, they don't love that their legacy is that uh, Michigan quit and didn't want to play Ohio State last year because that seems to be a, a common belief, uh, fair or not. So um, I, I think especially for them, it would be great for them to coming off a, a year to kind of silence the doubters and um, get a win over Ohio State. So I, I think that is a little added um, momentum and uh, mentality in this game. But, you know, Brian Day was saying it yesterday and everybody says it every year. If you need something extra to juice up this game, then you probably aren't going to see the field anyway. So um, everybody already knows what this game is. Um, it's already the most important game on the season. Um, you don't need bullets and board material or anything like that to do stuff. You, you know, Kevin, I'm, I'm actually going to ask from your perspective on this, because we, we, we talk to you week in and week out about Ohio state football. You work for 11 warriors. You're s- such a huge contributor to our show, to 11 warriors covering Ohio state. I, I I'm just curious your thoughts just for yourself. How stinking lucky do you feel every time you get to the end of November 
and you get to cover arguably year in and year out a vastly pivotal game towards the outcome of not just the Big Ten, not just Ohio State, but like the whole of the NCAA. It seems like every year this game, even if Michigan is just, you know, hot sewage dumpster fire for that particular year, as most of Michigan history tends to suggest, because, you know, I have my own opinions on that one from the University of Michigan. But uh, how, how fun is it for you? as a beat writer, as a key contributor and stuff like that, to be able to say, yeah, I get to cover arguably one of the most important games of the year, year in and year out. Yeah. I mean, it, it is awesome. It is. I think that's one of those things where um, you, uh, you have to kind of take a step back sometimes and realize, you know, what, what you're doing and what, what the stakes are and um, you know, how, how cool it is. I, I cause I, I think with this game especially, it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good the teams are. It doesn't matter um, what the records are. And it, it, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been a part of it, who hasn't covered it, who hasn't been close to the game. But, um, you know, last year when Ohio State was favored by, I, I honestly think the line was like 30 or something like that. Like it was the largest spread in the history of the game. Um, people were still talking and people were still going to watch that game. Um, it still mattered to everybody. Um, it was still a huge national talking point. Like it, it, it is no matter what, one of the most important games in the college football season, every single season. Um, and so I, I think that that is something that, that is felt. Um, if you're a college football fan, uh, if you're a college football fan that grew up in Florida or Georgia, like you still know about the Ohio state football team or you still know about the Ohio state Michigan rivalry. Um, so I, yeah, it, it is something to not get lost in and to appreciate that, um, this is something special, this is something to care about. And this is something to, uh, to really, I not lose sight of. Top 10 matchup this week. It will be in Ann Arbor. Who you got? Yeah, I, I you know, the line right now, I, I think, is it's suspiciously low. It's at, like, eight points or something like that. Um, and so I that Vegas way free money. And so I, I was reading something yesterday about how they had uh, they had tickets coming in at a 6-to-1 rate um, for Ohio State. Six, six people were betting on Ohio for every one person that bet on um, it. A little bit in that. They feel like they're um, so that that gives me a little pause. But you know, on on every aspect of the game, I think Ohio State is just a little bit better. Um, and I, I mentioned the biggest thing for me was that defensive Ohio State defense versus Michigan's offense match. Um, and I, you know, that is just I, I think Ohio State has the advantage there. Um, you know, this defensive line is really coming into form. It's it's playing extremely well. Um, and more than that, I, I think Ohio State's going to be able to play a lot more press coverage and a lot more man-to-man this week because Michigan honestly does not have the last few weeks from Michigan State to um, David Bell to uh, um, Josh Dotson. Like uh, the, their Ohio State's defense, this Michigan, this Michigan uh, passing attack compared to Ohio State's defense and compared to what they've faced all year, I really think Ohio State's going to be able to man up um, 
bring some extra pressure and uh, they're going to play very well on defensively. And so I, I can see Ohio state winning. Um, I'd see 14 to 20 points, um, maybe like a, a 40 to 21 game or something like that. I, I think Ohio state's offense is going to get it done and the defense is going to do enough and it's going to be a pretty tough to Helps if I unhit the mute button. <laughs> so, <laughs> My question I have for you, it's a two-parter, concerns the NCAA playoff primarily. Uh, first of all, true or false, the playoff ranking committee finally got it right with their rankings. And my follow-up to that, does Auburn end Alabama's run as a NCAA playoff contender this weekend? Yeah, I, I think it was uh... – it, this was the first week that I looked at the rankings, especially at least the top five, and was like, yeah, that, that's correct. Um, so I, I, I think it took a few uh, losses. It took Oregon getting out of the picture. It took a few things. Um, but uh, it, it's finally correct. Um, it, you know, Ohio State, after dominating Michigan State, is the number two team in the country. Um, Alabama's fine at number three. Uh, Cincinnati is in the, in the picture at number four. So I think all in all, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, that doesn't mean that it's it's going to be fine at the end of the season because with these rankings with Oregon kind of hopping out of the picture, uh, things got a lot more hairy with that potential last team that gets in. So is, is it going to be Notre Dame? Is it going to be uh, another Big Ten team, another SEC team, a two-loss Big Ten team, a two-loss SEC team, or um, potentially a uh, Oklahoma or a winner of the, the Big 12? So who knows? Who, who knows who that last team is going to be? Um, but uh, I, I think that that that's setting up some some turmoil at the end but as of now they have the, the correct top five um but no, no i i don't think auburn's very good I, I i've been very clear about that all year i i rarely think auburn is really good um so i i i can't see i if arkansas if if alabama survived the schedule up to this point if arkansas didn't beat them last week um sad to say i i think they're going to make short work of auburn i don't think it's really going to be all that interesting in the football game, but I'd love to be wrong. Um, that, that would be a lot of fun if, if uh, Alabama lost before they even had a chance to go to Georgia. I'm looking ahead to this weekend's slate of games. Of course, Ohio State, Michigan is the biggest one for our area, but lots of other good rivalry games throughout this weekend. You have the Egg Bowl. That's actually going to be on Thanksgiving between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So aside from the NFL games, you'll have that game to watch on Thursday with Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. That can always get interesting when you put those two coaches together. You got North Carolina against NC State, Bama and Auburn, as we mentioned. But we also have Penn State against Michigan State and Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State, and that does have potential playoff implications as well, depending on what else happens around the world of college football. What are what are some of the things you're looking forward to? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that. The, the big one, obviously, is that Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State game. Um, you know, I, I think Oklahoma has kind of played themselves out up to this point, but if either one of those teams has a really decisive win, um, they could be up here talking, competing with Notre Dame or, um, you know, a, a, another team for that last playoff spot. So again, no matter what, but now that you've got Lake, um, that's must watch television at that point. So um, I'll, I'll be keeping close tabs on that one uh, just for, for the fun of college football. So uh Hey, and you know, based on coaching rumors, it might be Lane Kiffin's only egg bowl. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, I'm excited for that one. And last, what I got for you, Kevin, because uh, obviously Thanksgiving, literally 
just a, several hours away, but, but we're in hours as opposed to days on that one. Uh, James Franklin, 10-year contract with Penn State. Question for you, pretty cut and dry. Is the Big Ten rejoicing or is Penn State going to look really, really bad when he takes one of these other head coaching jobs and they're now on the hook with this weird 10-year contract extension that they just offered him? So the the 10-year contract, if you actually look at it, it's, it's, it's kind of a mirage. Um, it, it's 10 years for sure, but if you look at the buyout, the buyout is like $9 million next year and like $6 million the year after. And then it immediately drops down to like $1 million or something like that. So effectively, this is only like a, 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 um, a two-year extension. So like I, after two years, there's absolutely nothing stopping Penn State from firing him or um, another team from, from coming in and scooping him out. So I, I think for two more years, James Franklin's going to be in Penn State, at Penn State. But after that, we can start this whole uh, bidding war cycle over again. So, um, but I, I think that it, it's tough to tell. James Franklin at this point is exactly who he is. And I think that's just a very, um, a very above average coach. You know, that program is perennially a top 15 program that uh, gets to be a, a premier game for Ohio State, but more than that, but past that, it's it's not much. So um, I, 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 I think that the Big Ten, the, the lower half of the Big Ten is probably not super stoked because they're taking all, or he's taking all of their recruits, but the top of half of the Big Ten, the Ohio States, the Michigans, even the Michigan States, um, they're probably quite happy that James Franklin's going to be there for a while. Last one I have, and it's playing off of the rumors you hear, you mentioned Lane Kiffin. Is it going to be, and this is, of course, the if, if Miami does in fact fire Manny Diaz, and I guess when they fire Manny Diaz, will it be Mario Cristobal, will it be Lane Kiffin, or will it be somebody we haven't heard about? I, you know, that that's really tough. Um, at this point, I, uh, I, I, I have no idea. Um, I, I, I'm most fascinated to see what Lane Kiffin does, because I, I don't think I've ever seen a coach like as much of a mercenary as he is, just... Um, <laughs> just grabbing his uh his money wherever he can get it um so i i don't know he's it based on the rumors it seems that he's on his way out whether that's going to be miami whether that's going to be usc i have no idea but um that that's more than even any specific coaching job that opens up i'm fascinated to see where lane kiffin goes because his career his entire career arc is just fascinating to me so um I, i i will be tuned into that more than anything else so um, but th- th- it's going to be a wild year in um, coaching searches in general uh, with so many high level jobs opening up and a ton of, uh, you know, coaches that could be on the move. So um, all in all, it's, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks after the season. ends. so uh, buckle up. And that's without even mentioning that the LSU job is open. The fact that he could go back to USC, which famously left him on the tarmac after one of their road games that that would be an incredible story if he does go back to USC. It's wild. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, the only thing that would be funnier than him going back to the school that he uh, was fired on at the tarmac would be going back to like Tennessee or something like that, <laughs> uh, where he, he just left the school voluntarily. So I don't know. It's Lane Kiffin's coaching career is absolutely hilarious. And I, and it's so funny because he's like so young too. So yeah. like, he's going to be around college football for like forever. And he just keeps bouncing around like this. So um, I, I will be following Lane Kiffin 
um, wherever he goes, because every, every time he goes somewhere, it's, you know, it, it's hilarious. So I want him nowhere near my team to be clear, <laughs> but I, I enjoy watching him from afar. Can, can, can I say something here? I totally think go he's going to go to USC. <laughs> I really do. It'd be so funny. It'd well, be it's so fun. Funny. It's funny, but on paper, it actually makes a lot of sense for USC to bring him in. Like it does. Like you, you know, maybe just send him a send him a message saying, "Hey, sorry about the misconnection there on the tarmac. You want to come back <laughs> or something?" Come home, Lane. Yeah, c- come, come home, home, Lane. We got a plane ticket for you. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Oh, good lord! Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like. Uh, Lane Kiffin is his own one-hour special every time he gets behind a microphone. So I'm, I, I am anxiously awaiting to see where he lands. Yeah, it's it's gonna be awesome. And more than that, like he's a fine coach too. So like that that's the funniest part is he's he definitely like can can like actually be a successful coach. So it's not even like he's just like a, a comic book character or something like that. He's funny, but like also he can coach a football team. This has been Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com. Kevin, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. We'll catch up next week. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Big thanks to Kevin Harris for joining us this week for our holiday edition of Lance and Matt Plus to talk the Ohio State football game this past week against Michigan State, getting ready for their matchup with Michigan this Saturday afternoon. And Matt, I was thinking the other day, as I sometimes do, we really are in a current peak of athleticism. I really did think I, I, really did think I smelled smoke. I knew you were thinking about something. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> we really are, though, in a current peak of athleticism here across sports. Yes, there are exceptions. You know, some baseball players out of shape, football players here and there. In basketball, not so often, but does happen in basketball, too. But I was thinking, what if, and, and funny, what if, <laughs> Didn't, ah, look at you. What if? Didn't do that on I'll purpose, but convert out of you. it's funny how that worked out. What if you, in fact, took a group of athletes to not necessarily play the sport they are or have been a pro in? Who would rise to the top? Who are the ones that could thrive basically no matter what? Maybe one day you play soccer. One day you play volleyball. Another day you might do things like golf and water polo. And then eventually you'll get to the baseball, basketball, football, hockey, those other other types of of team sports. So I have for us a draft board and we can pick, we'll, we'll start with seven. If we need to go seven, more than seven apiece, we can do that. If there are more guys we feel are worthy of being drafted. But Matt, the big question, do you want the first or the second pick overall? I want the first pick for this one. Are you sure? Definitely want, yes, definitely want the first pick for this one. Okay. I will be so kind to give you the first pick. Well, that's so nice of you. The floor is yours. Go right ahead, my friend. Okay, with the first pick in the ultimate athlete draft, I guess we'll call it question. That that sounds good to you. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Okay. In the fir- with first pick of the ultimate athlete draft, there's no question. Bo knows. I'm taking Bo Jackson, running back, outfielder, archer, Olympic triathlete. Marathon runner, marching band coordinator, bear wrestler. <laughs> I mean, just the Bo did everything, man. I mean, yeah, Bo Jackson, not even thinking twice about that one. The premier athlete in the history of athletes. I mean, I could 
go way back into the well. There's a few other players that come to mind, a few other athletes that come to mind. But, man, I just think back to, like, a couple years ago, they did a Bo Jackson special, one of those 30 for 30s on ESPN. And it was talking about what he's done since his hip injury and everything. And they closed with him just demonstrating what he's learned to do for archery because he had started picking up archery like six months before they did the 30 for 30 special and he hit three bullseyes in a row. (laughs) It's like, this guy's only been doing this for three months. Are you kidding me with this? So yeah, Bo Jackson, not, not even thinking twice. What, what he did on the football field would have been one of the all time greats. He, he won a world series for Kansas city pretty much between him and George Brett. So he was phenomenal on the baseball field too. And I'm pretty sure you put Bo Jackson in any situation. He is going to be an all-time great in that sport. Yeah, definitely. Definitely very worthy of the number one pick in this all-time athlete draft. So I will, I will stick with the guy who did similar things at a different position, but did also play football, did also play baseball, and there is no other pick for our second overall pick than a primetime Deion Sanders. You look at what he did in football, helped swing a couple titles as a cornerback, played baseball, was a part of some World Series teams that made some deep runs, was a part of that Braves team in the 90s that made a run, played for the Reds as well. And he's he played both sports on the same day, even at one point in his career. And that's another big testament to how well Deion Sanders was able to play both football and baseball. So second overall, got to go Deion. I, I got to say, I actually remember when Deion Sanders did that, but played football game in the afternoon, took a charter plane and then a helicopter to Turner Field to play for Atlanta. I believe it was like in the divisional round or something like that. Could be wrong on which postseason round it was, but I, I remember him doing that. And it was a big deal at the time. I mean, I was a lot younger, so I had no clue what was going on, but I do remember the fact that he did that. That was, that was impressive. De- Deion Sanders, definitely a impressive pick and very worthy of the number two pick. So that, that, that leaves me one of the legends at number three. So I'm going to roll with it at pick number three in the ultimate athlete draft. I'm taking Jim Thorpe. I mean, you go through his history. The guy was an Olympian. He was the face of the first iteration of the NFL. He played soccer. He played volleyball. Uh, you, you were listing these. What if you put this particular player in this sport or this sport? And I mean, that was what Jim Thorpe did. It was, hey, we got this new sport where people run around holding a ball, tackling each other. How do we make this popular? Well, let's see if Jim Thorpe can do it. And he did it great. I mean, his statue is still in Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But he was also an Olympian in multiple categories, an Olympic qualifier in multiple categories. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to absolutely run with Jim Thorpe there as my second pick for myself, but the third overall pick in the ultimate athlete draft. He's definitely one of the guys just because of, I mean, he played over a hundred years ago at this point. He's, he's, it is a while. He's certainly one of those guys that you would love to have the time machine capabilities, throw him in today's 
day and age, see if he does gravitate like towards football because of how much bigger football is. Even though he was part of football in the very early days, there's no denying that it wasn't even the most popular sport in America at that time, whereas now it is. So he might still have gone down the football path, but with uh, with his athletic ability, he could have done a variety of things. He absolutely could have. I mean, you look at you mentioned the time machine. I mean, it's it's kind of easy to find a time machine. You just watch some of the vintage film of Jim Thorpe. I mean, you can find him starting in like 19, 1914, 1915, right around the Olympics and stuff like that. No one was a couple were postponed due to World War One, but you you see him in the Olympics just absolutely going off on everybody. Then you see some film of him in the early days of the NFL, just running around people like right in circles around everybody, basically. So, I mean, what, what he could do just as a natural athlete was absolutely remarkable. So yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. I I would pay all the money to see him in a modern sports setting. Because he, he he strikes me as one of those guys that you could play him anywhere. I mean, you just saw Taysom Hill get anywhere from a 45 to a $95 million contract, depending on which position he plays more between quarterback or running back. And my God, Jim, Jim Thorpe probably would have had four of those kind of contracts over his career. And just as, 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 had he been in the NFL alone. Now, it's not even factoring in had he done – professional baseball because he allegedly was a great baseball player as well. Allegedly a very talented um, soccer player. He did a lot of the track and field type of events was a triathlon person. Once again, that seems to be a recurring theme with some of these elite athletes that they can do the triathlon pretty effectively. So yeah, oh man, I'd I'd pay good money to see Jim Thorpe in a time machine. That would be cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool to see. For my next pick, a little surprise, this guy fall, fell into my lap. I'm gonna go with a player who won the Heisman and is the only player to then not play a snap in the NFL, and that would be Charlie Ward. Won the Heisman in the early '90s, then because he was not. A first-round pick, he said, if I'm not a first-round pick in the NFL, I will be taking my talents to the NBA, and he did just that. Played for more than a decade in the league, was a part of some big teams, particularly with the Knicks in the 90s, and was one of their solid players, starters for them. And you, you look at what he did at Florida State with Bobby Bowden and was absolutely a part of an electric offense that was kind of really one of the first uh, waves of the electric college-type offenses that we see more and more as the years have progressed since then. For fourth overall, my second pick, I will go with Charlie Ward. I mean, you look at Charlie Ward, he was, like, for for all the young young people, all the kids out there listening, he was Joe Burrow before Joe Burrow. A guy who comes out of nowhere, just absolutely demolishes records on his way to a Heisman Trophy season on his way to a big national title run season and just a a comes out of nowhere kind of guy. Now I say that because anyone who watched college basketball was like, Charlie Ward didn't come out of nowhere. We've all known this for a while now that he was a very talented athletic player 
so yeah, he, he's a great pick. He, he's a phenomenal pick for that one. And I mean, extremely talented, had a very nice career in the NBA. And I could definitely say he's a, he's a prime candidate for a Matt Cotman presents. What if had he gone in the first round? Instead, because you you look at the time he got drafted, some of the quarterbacks that were out there, man, it, we could be talking about a much, much different era of 90s quarterback play and early 2000s quarterback play if Charlie Ward had been a one of the first 30 names called during the draft when he was eligible for it. So, yeah, that, that oh, that's a good one. I did not think of Charlie Ward. That's a really good Really good pick. Okay. Okay. Well, with it in that same vein, for my next pick at number four, I'm going to go much, much more recent. Much more recent. And I'm going to pick a guy that was a first-round pick in two sports. And I'm sure the Oakland Athletics would not appreciate me bringing up that he was a first-round pick for them. But still, point being, top-tier talent, multiple sports. My four, The fourth pick in the Ultimate Athlete Draft is going to be Tyler Murray. The kid just is such an athletic player. He is so impressive to watch. He is fast. He's strong. He's talented. He's got great arm. And that's just talking about football. You throw baseball into the mix. He was phenomenal. Oh my God. He was so good. Like there, I I still remember recently, there was a genuine conversation of, well, if he doesn't go first overall to Arizona or whoever has the first pick in the draft, does he skip football entirely and stick with his baseball career? He had already been drafted as a top 15 player in major league baseball. And I think, and Lance, correct me if I'm wrong on this. He was near the top of the athletics, like minor league, like prospect chart for a couple years in a row. Like they thought he was going to be like one of those next level guys. that was really going to help turn around the franchise as well. I mean, you so, you don't get you don't get picked in. I think he was the ninth pick when he was picked a couple years ago. Yeah, that ninth pick in the draft. I I don't think you take somebody that high without having the potential to be a franchise changer type player. And you look at what he did at Oklahoma and with with what he was able to do in the minors for the t- little time he was there before football officially came calling. I mean, yeah, you can you see all the talent in the world, and he's. I mean, you could see if I were to compare him to a current player in Major League Baseball, I don't think he would have maybe necessarily the power this guy does, but he could very easily have became like a Cedric Mullins type player in Major League Baseball. Yeah, without quite. I mean, he he had the talent. He, he definitely had the talent at baseball to make the bigs. There's no denying that. There's no getting around the fact he would have made the big leagues at some point. He would have made it to the show. Would he have been an absolute elite once in a generation? Like it, it seems like he's becoming on the football field. Reply hazy ask again later. But 
I think he still would have been pretty good. So yeah, Cedric Mullins, I think that's a fair comparison. I, I think I, I would say for him, I would put his ceiling as a baseball player. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I, I'd put his ceiling somewhere along the lines of like a George Springer, someone like that. I mean, it, had he developed more power, he definitely could have been that level of a outfielder or fielder just in general for the A's. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with my pick. I'm sticking with Kyler Murray. I think that's a solid one. For my next pick, and Matt, you actually did your math wrong. You were the fifth then pick, so this will be the sixth pick coming. Well, you know what? You guys don't pay me for my math. It's okay. Clearly. For my pick, <laughs> I will go with another guy. Multi-sports star, played not one, not two, not three, but four sports star at UCLA, the player who ended up breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball, Jackie Robinson. And he's on this list because obviously he was an amazing baseball player, was an MVP player in Major League Baseball. If, if you talk to the people of that era, baseball was like his third or fourth best sport behind everything else he did. So to to give him a chance to maybe hit the reset button and try a different path and try one of the other sports he could have been great at, that would be a fascinating thing to see. So for my third overall pick, sixth overall as far as our combined draft, I will go with Jackie Robinson. Well, yeah, I mean, Jackie Robinson was just it, an incredible, not just athlete, but human period. I, I mean, everything that he had to go through, everything that he kept himself above uh, in terms of get, being above the fray, breaking the color barrier, doing everything that he did, helping the Dodgers win the pennant right off the bat. And really, you can't imagine just the pressure that he had to have been under. I mean, just to call it as it is, there were so many people rooting for him to fail. And had it not been, he was one of the best players right off the bat. I mean, are we talking guys like Larry Doby or Satchel Page ever make it to Major League Baseball? But it, it does the color barrier remain, even though it's broken, does it still remain heavily in place for several more years? Had it not been for him being such a talented player and more importantly, being just an incredible human being for that one. So yeah, Jackie Robinson, he he's a he's a great pick for that one. And I, I'm get kind of stay in the same vein, not much in the same vein with my pick, but I, I'm gonna go with someone who is argued as the greatest football player in history but also arguably the greatest lacrosse player in the history of Syracuse University, and that's Jim Brown. I mean, you look at his time at Syracuse, he lettered 10 times in four sports, football, lacrosse, basketball, and track while he was there. And in most regards, football is obviously considered his best sport, and for good reason. He's the greatest football player in the history of the game by a wide margin, but there's a lot of discussion and a lot of thoughts about his time at lacrosse that had there been, you know, 
a professional lacrosse league like there seems to be developing now it seems like it's getting a lot more mainstream that he would have been the greatest lacrosse player of all time and in fact for Syracuse their team for lacrosse their player of the year award is named after Jim Brown if I'm reading this correctly so yeah for for my pick I'm taking Jim Brown it's uh, another one of those not necessarily barrier breaking kind of players like Jackie Robinson was, but a player who really helped re- redefine the game they played in football professionally, but was arguably as equal, if not maybe a better player in another sport. Yeah. No arguments from, from me on, on Jim Brown and what he what he did between both football and lacrosse, especially at the pro and collegiate levels. No no argument for me there. I'm going to go with a guy, similar era, but uh, different different sport entirely, different sports as well. An all-time NBA great, but also in college was a part of the Kansas track team and was regarded as one of the best overall athletes of all time. And that will be Wilt the Stilt, Wilt Chamberlain. You look at what he did. At, in the NBA during his time, 100 points in a game. Talked about it this morning, but anniversary of 55 rebounds in a single game. Couple that with everything he did on the track field, and at his size, at being seven foot plus and being the most athletic person I think still, even we've seen with all these seven footers in you know NBA games today. I mean. Guys like Kevin Durant, guys like Giannis. I mean, Giannis is probably the closest thing we've seen to Wilt since Wilt, and he's not quite as big as Wilt was. And you, you got to go for for my fourth pick, eighth overall, going to go Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain's an interesting fellow. <laughs> I mean, it's he he he's got some fun stories connected to him. Uh, probably one of the few that are safe for discussion on air for radio though you you mentioned the anniversary of the 55 rebound game forget the name of the guy but there was a rookie that actually made his nba debut in that game as well for uh the set for the 76 or for philadelphia so on the same team as um will chamberlain and he got interviewed by somebody after the game and they were talking about obviously Will Chamberlain having 55 rebounds. This rookie apparently had one rebound in the game. And they asked what he thought of the game overall. He said, you know what? I had a great day between Will Chamberlain and myself. We had 56 rebounds. (laughs) And just the way he worded it makes it sound like, wow, these are two dominant people. (laughs) Pay no attention to the fact that Will Chamberlain got 55 <laughs> of those rebounds. Just well, one of one of my favorite it's how you word things kind of stories that's out there. But yeah, Will Chamberlain, that's that's a solid pick, a very very solid pick. So, let's see here. I'm going to I'm going to go a hybrid of basketball as well. And I'm going to pick someone that honestly, you look at what he did when he switched from basketball to football and you can make a pretty compelling argument. He changed the way people look at this position going forward. I'm picking Antonio Gates, the golden flash himself takes Kent state to the elite eight in basketball 
in the tournament, in the March Madness tournament, does not get drafted by anybody at the NBA, is an undrafted free agent to the San Diego Chargers as a tight end and proceeds to be, one would argue, one of the top five tight ends in the history of the game then from that point going forward. I mean, just an incredible run that he had in San Diego for all those years. Ended up playing his whole career as a San Diego Charger. And the fact that he started as a power forward at Kent State and just also happened to play football. Football was his, I'm staying in shape until basketball season sport. It's just incredible. It shows what kind of athlete he is. And now you look at people when they draft tight ends, one of the things that you hear over and over again, oh, he's got that power forward kind of build. He's got this lean three and D defender kind of build. They, they use basketball terms to talk about tight ends because Antonio Gates fundamentally changed how people look at the tight end position, not just a blocker who can occasionally catch the football. He, he, he and Tony Gonzalez together in the modern modern era, like from the mid nineties forward. And they can even look at like guys like Ozzie Newsome and Kellen Winslow in the earlier years of the NFL being mainstream. But those were guys that changed the way you look at the tight end position. So yeah, my next pick Antonio Gates. And I feel pretty good about that one. For my next pick, I will go with one of the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time in most people's eyes, as far as the NBA, you know exactly where I'm going. I couldn't wait this long. Michael Jordan, he has to be on this list. He has to. For everything he did, obviously, for everything he did in basketball, for what we saw from him when he did try baseball, and yeah, he might not have made the major leagues in his brief stint into minor league baseball, but you look at the way his numbers improved as a 30-year-old playing baseball for the first time in more than a decade and how great he was in that limited sample and couple that with the fact that he's one of, if not the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, he has to be included and he he will be on my team right here. A mighty fine addition. A mighty fine addition there. I, I I would agree. Now, I will say, as we're getting later and later into this draft, that second tier sport that the, they're playing, you are starting to see a bit of a drop off there. Right. But I, I'm going to go ahead and throw my next candidate because I am in need of quarterback besides Kyler Murray in case he decides to play baseball the whole time. I'm going to take another smaller quarterback who happens to play baseball, happened to be drafted, I think, three times by the Texas Rangers over the course of his career and is still actively going down for things like spring training and stuff like that from time to time, just for fun. I am going Russell Wilson. And I'm really surprised that he has stayed on the board this long and kind of surprised just like it wasn't the actual NFL draft that Russell Wilson stayed on the board this long. But a lot of people forget that about Russell Wilson, his time at North Carolina state before he transferred to Wisconsin for football, he got drafted two years in a row 
to Major League Baseball. And then when he was at Wisconsin, he played one more year of baseball just before he went into the pros, and he got drafted again. The, the guy is a very, very talented baseball player. The only catch is he's a way more talented NFL quarterback. So I, I don't think we'll ever see him suit up for both sports at the same time, Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson style. But make no mistake, R- Russell Wilson, he could definitely – play baseball i mean again drafted multiple times over the course of his collegiate career so yeah i'm gonna pick russell wilson i think he's a very underappreciated dual sport athlete that's out there yeah definitely another another very very good good candidate in russell wilson so in that vein i will i I will do my attempt to one-up you in this regard I will go with another player who also became more. I, I, I think I know who you're going with. I'm really excited about this. Became more famous in football. Did also have baseball as a possible part of his future. And he said, if you guys take me early enough, sure, I will go play baseball. If the wrong team does draft me in the NFL, I also might go play baseball. That is, of course, the now Hall of Famer, John Elway. Uh, that's I, I had a feeling that's where you were going with it. I'm very excited about that. John Elway. You, you want to talk about somebody having ammunition in their favor to get exactly where they want to go. He, he basically told the Colts, look, if you draft me, I'm just going to go play baseball. And then the Colts are like, well, we'll still draft you. And we'll just, we'll just keep in your contract that you can't go play baseball. He's like, okay, well then I just won't play football then. Unless you trade me I'm like, well, we're not going to trade you. Well, then I guess I'm going to go play baseball. <laughs> well, you can't play baseball. Well, then I guess I'm not going to play football. <laughs> like John Elway came up with so many ways to make sure he was not a Baltimore Colt. It's really, it's really, really impressive. But yeah, I mean, he was very talented. He was a solid player when he was at Stanford. Very good athlete, very good baseball player as well. And that the reason Baltimore ended up trading him is because he actually had a good argument. Like if it was me saying, well, I'm not going to play for you guys. I'll go play baseball. Well, I can't hit the curve worth crap. So they know I'm not serious. They'll still draft me at that point. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that he had that level of uh, ammunition of being able to say, yeah, I'm not going to play for you guys. And here's the multitude of reasons why what I can do instead. It's impressive. It's really impressive with John Elway. And and you kind of notice a trend here too. Quarterbacks tend to be able to be two sport athletes. Tight ends tend to be two sport athletes, running backs and halfbacks tend to be two sport athletes or multi-sport athletes. What if you just have an athlete being a multi-sport athlete? And where I'm going with this one is the legend that is Tim Tebow. Because Tim Tebow, reason I'm bringing him up, first of all, I stand firmly by the belief I think he got hosed as an NFL quarterback. I simply do. The, The stats play out that he got hosed as an NFL quarterback. But more importantly than that, 
when it was very clear that the football career was pretty much wrapped up. He just decides to up and play Major League Baseball. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, I got this in my repertoire. Did he ever make it to the bigs? No, kind of the same situation as Jordan. Never actually made it to the big leagues. But by the same token, at we you talked about Jordan. At like 30 or 31, he just decides he's going to be a Major League Baseball player. Gets picked up by the Mets. Has a terrible first year. But then his second and third year in the minor leagues, he actually wasn't that bad. Like, he did okay. I wouldn't say he was a big league ball player, but he actually did okay. So to be able to pick that up and play at just under a major league level in your 30s, you got to give props and credit where credit's due on that one for Tebow. So, yeah, I'm going to take Tebow with my pick. I was fortunate enough uh, shortly before the world came to an end in 2020 that I got to go watch some spring training games down in Lakeland, Florida, and one of those was the Tigers against the Mets. So I am one of about a couple thousand people or so that can say in the same day I watched Miguel Cabrera, one of the greatest hitters of all time, hit a home run, and Tim Tebow hit a home run as well. And it validates my point. I mean, it's... Again, do I think he's an all-time great, great athlete? Probably not. But he's a Heisman Trophy winner that got drafted in the first round, won a playoff game, got hosed out of the NFL because of a variety of reasons. Uh, among the off-the-field ones that people were a little squeamish about, biggest one being, you know, he only could complete about 50% of his passes. That's a big no-no when you play quarterback. But yeah, just being able to then pick up baseball and have a nice three-year minor league career, that's impressive. That's very impressive. This will be my seventh pick, and I think it's suffice it to say we each can add three more, so we will go to ten. I'm, I'm glad you uh, glad you were, had researched this as much as, as much as I did. So for, for my next pick, I will go with another guy that is considered one of the best at his position in football. But you look at what he did more in the high school ranks because of how good he was at football. You look at how good of a basketball player he was. He was an all-state type performer, played with a future NBA pro in Jason Williams, and that would be Randy Moss. That's a solid one. That That's a very, very solid pick. Randy Moss definitely falls into that category. He was... God, he was such a freak of an athlete. My goodness. <laughs> he was so impressive. But, okay, good pick. Yo, I'm going to stick that little, like, back and forth and late 90s, early 2000s um, football superstars. And I'm also going to pick an all-time great. And I am going to actually say the – Phenomenal North Carolina superstar Julius Peppers made a final four appearance his freshman year as a sixth man rotator on the uh, North Carolina basketball team. Next year, he was still in the rotation and had a 18.10 rebound game against Penn State. And his junior year, he's like, okay, well, uh, you know, I should probably focus on football because it turns out I'm pretty good. (laughs) 
and just yeah, Julius Peppers. The fact that he was able to do it on both the hardwood and the football field makes him a no-brainer pick for me. Yeah, absolutely. With uh, with what he did at North Carolina, and then of course in the NFL as well. For for my next pick, I will go. It's between one of two guys that are very similar in one sport, but their other sport is wildly different. I will go. I will go. I will go with the current one just just for for the sake of a current name, and I will go with a guy that is considered one of the best players in basketball even now has won some MVPs oh he's also uh he's also the best shooter if not one of the best shooters of all time I'll go Steph Curry you talk about him on the basketball court you obviously know what he can do but watch him play golf and he's a really good golfer too he's not going to be you know he's not going to be quite a pro level of golfer but he's a very very good golfer and that's, I mean, you can make the argument. I, mean, talk, I, I forgot to mention golfer Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is known as a very good golfer as well. But so for, for my for my next one, I'll go Steph Curry just to switch things up a little bit. Are you mad? I'm not mad, just disappointed. As a, as a Cleveland fan, I feel I'm fiduciarily required to remind everyone that he blew a 3-1 series lead against the Cleveland Cavaliers. How'd the Cleveland uh, baseball team do later that year? They also blew a 3-1 series lead. Funny okay. you should ask me that. Just, just wanted to clear uh, that up. So I am going to crazy dip into the well here. Absolutely going to go out of left field. And I'm going to put our first woman on the list Okay. as well. My next pick, I am taking Babe Diedrichson. So run down the, the resume. Three-time Olympic medalist. This is back in the day, so it may, not too many people will probably remember this name. But the 1932 LA Games. She won gold medal in the 80-meter hurdles. She won silver in the high jump and gold in the javelin. She was also a two-time All-American in basketball. And she is a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, helped create the LPGA, and won the U.S. Open in 1948, 1950, and 1954. Now, tragically, her career was kind of cut short started getting sick and unfortunately passed at the age of 45. But there was a time there where Bay Diedrichson was the premier golfer in the world, period. Like num- number one in terms of revenue, number one in terms of wins. And that was probably her third best sport. Because like I said, two gold medals at the 32 LA games as well. And an All-American in basketball. So yeah, Babe Diedrichson, a incredibly worthy pick for this ultimate athlete list. Okay. That is a name I had not heard. So I looked them up and yeah, you are, you were very, you were very much correct. Well, see, you learned something today. This is a day not wasted for you. So because of Matt throwing that curveball, I will also add a woman to my all athlete team because we don't want to up here as we are excluding anybody, I will go with another woman that is a multi-sports star that because she had failed to accomplish what she wanted to 
on the track and field realm took her talents to the bobsled. I will go with Lolo Jones. Ooh, that's, that's a good one. That That's a solid one there. Okay. I, 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 yeah, Lolo Jones, man, she was impressive. My goodness, she was very impressive. So, yeah, that's, that's a really solid pick as well. I, I, I like that pick. That's a good one. Um, wow. Okay. So. Last one. Last one. Okay. For my last one, I am going to really make sure the Philadelphia fan base doesn't like me here. You booed him when you drafted him. You booed him when he left and joined Washington. But in between, he was a six-time pro bowler, threw more than 100 touchdown passes, ran for 3,000 yards, also was a key six-man rotation guy for Syracuse's basketball team, in particular the 1996 squad that played Kentucky in the national title game. That's right. I am going Donovan McNabb, who was the two-guard for Syracuse from 96 and 97, but then stopped to focus on football and obviously had the career that he did. So Donovan McNabb is my final pick. Okay. That's another, another very good one. So for my last pick, I'm torn only because I feel like with my background, it is very easy for me to pick basketball players that are a part of this list. And some are more well-deserving than others, but Already got, I've already got Michael. I've already got Wilt. I've got Steph Curry on there as well. And Charlie Ward was a basketball player as well. So I will go with someone who at least their primary sport did not end up being basketball. I'll go with someone that you actually know of very well. I will go with someone from that Indians team in the late 90s, but also did play some basketball, was a part of some Final Four runs, at Arizona, played with guys like Steve Kerr, Luke Walton, guys guys in that era. I know Luke Walton was a little later, but guys that guys that played for Arizona. I will go with Kenny Lofton. To be happy that you Kenny Lofton. I was torn between Lofton and Donovan McNabb for my last one, but yeah, that's that's something not too many people know about Kenny Lofton is the fact that he was a pretty good basketball player. As well, he was pretty solid, but obviously did much, much better as a major league baseball player. And just going to go ahead and ask a very obvious question here to close out this um, little section, Lance. And I'd love your thoughts on it. How's he not in the Hall of Fame once again? I'm just curious, asking for yeah. a friend. Yeah, that's it's a very, <laughs> very good question. How is Kenny Lofton not in the Hall of Fame yet? I think it's just because... I think in part because he played for so many teams, I think that pr- probably takes him down a little bit too. I know it shouldn't be a defactor, but it, it I think it ends up being one of those things because it's viewed as, oh, you couldn't stay on a team for so long. That's that's a that's a negative against you. And I think it's just because his numbers aren't like they aren't next level across the board. I know he was a great base dealer. He was good at getting on base. And I think there's I think there's just a, a line of a line in the sand that you need to be a little higher for. And I think that's why we don't see Lofton in the hall of fame. Fades in the hall of fame for Pete's sake. I mean, <laughs> come on. 
<laughs> he was, he was, uh, we can argue about this another time. We can let's, uh, because I have so many people, let's do one more piece. Let's, let's, okay. let's make it, let's make it for a, a quote unquote football team. Let's make it 11. One, one more. Who you got? One more. Who do I have? Who do I have? Who do I have? Oh man, this is, Oh, okay. I got to think about this one. Okay. You know what? Actually, I do have a good pick here. We're going to stick baseball, the baseball basketball hybrid here. I'm going to go with somebody from the nineties as well from the world series winning Toronto blue Jays. I'm going Dave Winfield. Cause Dave Winfield, one of the few players ever in the history of organized sports to be able to say he was drafted in three separate sports. He was drafted with the blue Jays. He was drafted in the NBA by the Atlanta Hawks. And he was drafted in the ABA by the Utah stars. Also just for fun. I lied. He was drafted in four sports because he was also picked by the Minnesota Vikings back when there was like 15 rounds or something like that. It was purely because of his athletic ability, but he was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, the Utah Stars, the Atlanta Hawks, and Toronto. Holy crap. (laughs) Dave Winfield is like the most secret megastar athlete in history by a wide margin. So that that is definitely my pick, Dave Winfield. I will go with a guy that has he has dipped his toe in the water of multiple sports, even though he's primary no, primarily known for just the one sport. And it's in part because of what he did in his secondary sport of choice and what he's done in, in the NFL as his primary gig. But it's more because look at him and how do you say he's not one of the best athletes you've ever seen? That would be DK Metcalf. Look at him. That's my rebuttal. Just look at him. I make the same argument about Miles Garrett and why he gets drug tested every week. He doesn't wear sleeves. Look at him. Just look at him. No human should be built the way DK Metcalf and Miles Garrett are built. It's it's not fair. Is what it is. I was about to say it's not natural, but correction, it's extremely natural. That's what hard work, dedication, commitment to your craft, and commitment to living a very healthy, active lifestyle can do for you but yeah the the argument is simple look at him (laughs) the end (laughs) why do you think he's an impressive multi-sport athlete look at him (laughs) uh, i'm I'm sure he'd be a great boxer too just because he probably can because why not it's yeah okay dk metcalf that's a solid pick solid pick to close things out with For our all-athlete teams for Matt, Bo Jackson, Jim Thorpe, Kyler Murray, Jim Brown, Antonio Gates, Russell Wilson, Tim Tebow, Julius Peppers, Babe Dietrichson, Donovan McNabb, and Dave Winfield. For myself, Deion Sanders, Charlie Ward, Jackie Robinson, Walt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, John Elway, Randy Moss, Steph Curry, Lolo Jones, Kenny Lofton, and DK Metcalf. This is Lance and Matt Plus, brought to you by WFOB, WBVI.com. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com for joining us to talk Ohio State football. They take on Michigan on Saturday. We just wrapped up our all-time athlete draft. Before we end this, Matt, we love food. There's, there's no, There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We don't even need to discuss it very much, but food, some food at least, 
it's better than others, at least in our eyes. So to do something different than a draft or a list, which we both like and love doing, I want to do something a little different for popular Thanksgiving foods. I have a list of typical Thanksgiving foods, some things that my family does that are a little different than others. If your family has something, we'll, we'll include that after the fact. But we've we've got our own tier list. If you actually go to tiermaker.com, search Lance and Matt Plus, you will find this very tier list that Matt and I are looking at and what we will be using here today. Are you ready? This is food. I, I could do this one cold. I was bored <laughs> ready. <laughs> let's do this thing. All right, let's start. Let's start with the main event, turkey. I know there's some polarizing opinions on it. What are your, what are your thoughts on Turkey? Well, the, the polarizing opinions are, do you get seconds or do you get thirds? The answer is you get thirds. It's Turkey. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's clearly in the elite status. That is the five-star golden man of foods for Thanksgiving. You have to have Turkey in the elite com- conversation. Okay. So just, just so people know for our, for our uh, categories, we have elite. We'll get seconds. Great, okay, not for me, and never had. I don't know if either of us have never had any of these foods, but just just in case, we do have we do have that category as well. That that is fair. I, I was say I, I I was I, I don't have any of the never hads because I have eaten all these foods at some point. But let's uh, yes, let's, tur- turkey has to be in the elite. Let's uh, let's stick with the protein. Let's go to honey baked ham. Where do you fall on honey baked ham? Oh, that's a not for me. Really? I Look, I, I love me my pork products. Bacon, definitely near the top of that list. Pork chops are fine. I, honey baked ham, I think Easter and Christmas. I do not think Thanksgiving. So when it comes to Thanksgiving, I got to hit that as a not for me category. Can we compromise? Because this is a combined list. Can we, yes. put, can we put that on okay? We can put that in okay. Uh, I, I, I am I do, I'm okay with okay. I do like my ham. Some some days are better than others. I remember when I was a kid, I loved honey baked baked ham, especially on the holidays. So it's it's always a part of my plate, but it's it's certainly not the it's certainly not the main course of the of the dish. You know, I'll say this much: if you're telling me I have to give up space for some of my other elites or great items in exchange for honey baked ham, I'm going to get rid of the honey baked ham. So yeah, I'm, I'm good with the okay status for that one. Sticking with the protein. Let's go sausage sausage. Where do you stand on sausage? You know, I'm going to put that in great because there's something about on either black Friday or Thanksgiving morning, a, a good like sausage and egg breakfast to get your holiday started. Right or to help start the day after in a good way. So I'm going to, I'm going to put sausage in the great category actually for myself. I am with you all the way there. I think that is depending on the day that is certainly, certainly can be argued in the elite category. Oh yeah. We'll see for me. One of the next ones that we have on the list jumps up into the elite category. So We'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in a moment, I'd imagine. I, I hope that we're on the same exact wavelength because for, for me, uh, kielbasa is absolutely in the elite category, 1,000%. It's my, it's one thing our family had to start making more of as the years progressed because I have a cousin 
that I'll, I won't say his name in case Joey is listening, but he is the reason we had to start. <laughs> we had to start making more kielbasa because he would devour it. And I'm not saying I didn't have my fair share because I did, but he is the reason we had to start making ample amounts of kielbasa. So for me, that is certainly in the elite. Kielbasa is what sausage aspires to be when it grows up is kielbasa. Uh, I, I come from a rich Eastern European family, kielbasa, sauerkraut, um, having um, kielbasa and like diced onions, having it just mixed in as like the main protein with like a variety of different like egg noodles or drop noodle kind of things. Oh yeah, kielbasa, you'd get a better argument from me for replacing turkey with kielbasa than you would anything else on this list. I, I am so happy we're on the same wavelength because as a, as a as a family background in in Polish foods, kielbasa oh God, it's yeah. it's all it, yeah it's always there. But like I, I would be I'd be remiss if this list did for anyone like in the northern Ohio area did not have kielbasa in the elite category. All right, next uh, next we'll 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 stick with the proteins and it's a slightly different one chicken nuggets. So I will explain why chicken nuggets are on this list. They are on this list because my, uh, my cousin who is, is older than me, but he's still, he's much older than me, but he is my cousin. His wife thought to bring chicken nuggets one year, just because I don't know she didn't feel like making anything else or what the, I don't remember the exact story. Cause it's, I think it started when I was like a teenager or something like that. But because of that, we always have chicken nuggets at all, all of our holiday meals, and in particular Thanksgiving as well. So that is why chicken nuggets are on this list, and that's why they might seem a little out of place among some of these other foods. If you were to see chicken nuggets on your Thanksgiving table for possible indulgences, Matt, where are you putting chicken nuggets? You know what? I'm actually going to say great. <laughs> if I see chicken nuggets, I'm like, oh, great, chicken nuggets. I don't say, oh, okay, chicken nuggets. It's always... Oh, great. They have chicken nuggets. And look, you, you got to think of the wee little ones as well. So, some of these Thanksgiving dishes are, you know, a little bit more of a mature palate kind of thing, a mature taste kind of thing. So you got to think of the kids table as well when it comes to Thanksgiving. And I mean, come on, we're all kids at heart. We all like being adults. We like our jobs. We like, well, we, we, we like our jobs, at least when the paychecks come in <laughs> we, and our days off that we have from them. But we, we like our jobs. We like spending time with family, like doing adult things. But, you know, sometimes we want to be kids and chicken nuggets are still tasty. So I, I'm actually going to argue that they belong in the great category because that that's a that, that that is the ultimate utility food is a chicken nugget. You're not going to hear any arguments from me. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> this this was really just me justifying chicken nuggets <laughs> to like the king of chicken nuggets on this one. Final of the things you would uh, ultimately truly consider protein type foods, deviled eggs. Where where do you stand on deviled eggs? Okay, so I can do damage to a plate of deviled eggs. <laughs> just just to call it as it is. I mean, get get the good get the good mix in for the actual like the the yolk and the egg portion of the deviled egg and then throw a good little bit of paprika on top of it like oh, i i will wreck a plate of deviled <laughs> eggs i have it as an elite dish 
percent like in my in my family our household just period if there is a holiday that deviled eggs are not being served someone was sick and didn't do the full cooking it's just as simple as that that deviled eggs are a staple of our holiday meals so for me it's in the elite i'll get seconds i'll get thirds that'll be my midnight snack and that's probably breakfast the next day so I'm not quite as in line with you on deviled eggs. I do like them, but there's something something about them I just have to be in the exact right mood for. So because of that, for me, and we can maybe debate this further, I would put them as, because since you said elite, I would put them at then great because on the right day, absolutely amazing. But on the wrong day, I don't know if it's just the texture of it or what it might be, but some days, some days they just don't hit the same. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll agree with you. I'll drop it down to great. I'll drop it into the great category. That that seems like a fair spot for it. Because from what I'm gathering from you, you fall more into the okay category. So we we can we can come to a compromise here in the middle and put it into the great category. I, I'd still say it's an elite food, but it can be just a great dish for Thanksgiving. Let's, let's move to an appetizer type dish. Really the only true appetizer of, uh, of the foods that we have. Most of them are main and side dishes with, with uh, some desserts as well. Cheese ball and crackers. This is one thing I'll, I'll, I'll like to see how you think of this. Once I discovered cheese ball, it was like the light bulb turned on above my head because I had been missing it for years. And that is another... That's, this is another case of uh, of family members eating too much of the cheese ball. So I didn't even give the thought of having cheese ball because most of the time when I would want to maybe go have some, it was already gone or very close to gone. So because of that, when I was younger, I don't remember having it very much at all. And then uh, in teenage to, to high school to college type era is when I discovered that I also then learned to make it. It's not super complicated to make either. And then I discovered it with crackers, and oh my gosh, to me, even though it's an appetizer, it is absolutely elite. So for me, I I fall into a unique category with this. Crackers are okay. Cheese, elite. Cheese ball, huh, gets a little iffy there for me. I'd put it in the great category. But then, like two years ago, you know, before the entire world fell apart, Last Thanksgiving I did with like the whole family, big whole family thing. I, I forget which one of the relatives, they brought a new cheese ball. And I'm going to side with you. It was a game changer. It was an absolute, like I, I cranked through like 50% of that <laughs> cheese ball while watching the Lions get absolutely obliterated during the afternoon game. I mean, it was, it, it was not healthy, the amount of cheese ball I actually ate watching a Detroit Lions game. So I, I'm, I'm going to side with you. Had you asked me a couple years ago, I would have said it's just okay. I'm going to go ahead and agree that it goes into the elite category. It's another thing that depending on how it is made yes. can, can make it from elite to okay. I think totally. that I think, I think that is exactly your problem is you were having an okay dish. And I, I don't know what kind of cheese ball you were eating, but if I had to wager a guess, it would be one that was not finely processed with the meat and onion stuff that is inside of the cheese ball because even to this day my grandma does the same thing and that's why hers does not get eaten as much as the other ones that are there 
and you, it, it's a clear it just night and day difference like it's you can eat it but it's it's not as good as the elite version of the dish and i'm glad we are in line with that one i would agree with you i, I would agree i'd throw it i'd throw it into the elite category when done correctly it's elite Let's move to the carbohydrate portion of our <laughs> of our meal as we already do have some some good things in the elite category. Let's let's start with bread slash rolls. This is obviously something depending on where you go out to eat during uh, during your time is some of those are absolutely elite appetizers, others not so much. Where do you stand on your dinner roll? You know what I have as the problem with dinner rolls is you could have some that are absolutely amazing. Like get the, get the fresh out of the oven or someone heated up like the King's Hawaiian roll kind of things. And they're amazing. Then you get others that are just okay at their absolute best. So for me, because there's too much disparity, depending on who cooked it, what type of roll it is, what type of biscuit it is, all that stuff. I'm going to put it at its best in just the great category only because there's too much variety that can occur with that one. I am again in lockstep with you. You said King's Hawaiian rolls and they have a special, special place in my heart and they are absolutely elite and they are, they are getting devoured. And I hope you had a couple different bags of King's Hawaiian rolls because you can, those are a rare bread that you don't need butter or anything with them. You, it, it enhances it, of course, but you can just pop those just right out of the bag if you really want to. They, they are that level of elite. Oh, they are. And that's the King's wine rolls, a special place in your heart on that one, Lance, is your left artery. <laughs> um, it's your left artery is a special place in your heart, if you must know. But yeah, King's Hawaiian Rolls, they're elite. But then you get like the knockoff, like the non-Hawaiian Roll dinner buns, and it's just, they're just okay. So I'm going to put them in the great category. I'm glad we're in lockstep on that. But yeah, King's Hawaiian Rolls, for everyone listening, that special place in your heart, is your left aortic valve and your left? <laughs> it's, it's just where it is. I, 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 I didn't need, I didn't need the anatomy lesson there. I, I didn't, I didn't want that. I just wanted to talk about my love for Kings of wine rolls. And then he went and made it real. And that's, that's not okay. This is, this is supposed to be for fun. This isn't supposed to be scary. Look, there is nothing. If, if you go out because of Kings Hawaiian rolls, you've lived a life. Okay. <laughs> Don't be scared. You've lived a great life if you go out on King's Hawaiian Rolls. Next one I want to bring up, and that would be mashed potatoes. And let me tell you, at least in my family, there is arguments, there is discrepancies when my mother does not make her mashed potatoes, whether they're not there entirely because she didn't make them, because one year she didn't make them because my dad made her mad, and when they're there, they are one of the first things people go to. So at least for me and for my family, absolutely in the elite category. So for me, I I'm th this is an opportunity for me on air to confess that contrary to what my size would suggest, I'm actually a surprisingly picky eater. Um, 
mashed potatoes happen to be one of those things. I, when it's like where it just kind of tastes mashed, where you still like get some little chunks of the potato and stuff like that. I can't stand it. My, mine has got to be like as smooth as butter, like practically whipped potatoes. Having said that, in my family, my, my, my folks actually have a garden in their backyard. They built a potato tower just to grow potatoes, just so they could eat more mashed potatoes. <laughs> just so they could eat more mashed potatoes, more diced potatoes, more sauteed potatoes. So while I personally would put mashed potatoes in the okay category, because again, they got to be done a certain way for me to really like them. There's no debate. Mashed potatoes are the elite of the elite starches when it comes to holiday cooking. So yeah, it's, it's in the elite category. No debate whatsoever about that. Continuing with our forms of potatoes, scalloped potatoes and I'll say, at least for my family, we usually just have mashed potatoes. I like scalloped potatoes, but they're usually, at least for, for me, they're usually not on our Thanksgiving table. So if I, if I had to say it, I would probably just put them in okay, because if they're there, I'll absolutely eat them. But at least for us, they're usually not there. I can tell you what, I put them at not for me, because there's only two things in this world I can't stand, lying and skim milk, which is water <laughs> lying pretending that it's milk kind of have the same view as scalloped potatoes it's potato lying and trying to pretend that it's actually mashed potatoes when we all know it's not so i put it in the not for me category i'll agree with you that it can fall under the okay category because if you like season or put some really good toppings on top of a scalloped potato it tastes a little bit better but yeah that's that's we don't do scalloped it's it's a like a tub sized version of mashed potatoes. And if my sister and my mom have not finished off the entire tub before it's gone around the first time, we're concerned that somebody's not feeling good. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. Mashed potatoes, clearly the favorite. I'll, I'll agree with you. Let's put scalloped potatoes in the okay category. Continuing with the potato category, let's go to the yam, the sweet potato type dish. And for me, I, I, I like, I do like sweet potatoes, but I don't want them around my Thanksgiving food. It is just something that's taking up other valuable space on my plate. So for me, at least as far as Thanksgiving is concerned, I would put them in the not for me category. I'm with you hundred percent. You know what? I can actually say full disclosure. I have yet to actually enjoy a sweet potato like sweet potato pie sweet potato fry i don't know what it is about sweet potatoes i've tried to like them i've really tried to like them i just don't not the biggest fan so i'm gonna go in the not for me category that that that's that that is plate space that could be taken up by deviled eggs and bread and cheese ball way more important to my menu on Thanksgiving. In the side category, stuffing. Where do you stand on stuffing? Well, I, I tend to stand a little bit away from stuffing. Um, I'm not a big stuffing guy. I, I, I don't know what it is. Um, I've had good stuffing. I've had very good stuffing in the past. I've had very bad stuffing in the past. Uh, so I, I guess probably fall under okay. 
for stuffing. I know it kind of goes hand in hand with turkey, turkey and stuffing. It's kind of like peanut butter and jelly. It's that they really just kind of go together. So I, I can get on board with stuffing, but for me, it's probably going to peak at about okay. Because if you're telling me in, cho- in terms of bread and side dishes, my choice is stuffing or more King's Hawaiian rolls, I'm going to get more King's Hawaiian rolls. That's just what I'm going to make little turkey sliders and I'm going to be a very happy, very fat human being for the remainder of that meal. So I'm going to go with okay. I'm going to say they're not bad. They're not, it's not great, not bad, but it's okay. Locked up with you all the way on that. I, I do enjoy stuffing, but it's, it's another case of what do I want on my plate? And I want the other carbs. I want the other proteins on there more. It, it just, that's what yeah. it comes down to. Well, and, and look, if the metric for going into the great category is, is this a side dish that I'm going to get a second of when I go back up for my turkey or when I go back up for my kielbasa, um, the stuffing doesn't cut that, doesn't make that cut. It just doesn't. Like I'll have it for the first serving, but that's probably it. Mac and cheese, another polarizing food in the Thanksgiving community, when uh, when you look at the, especially on the internet, some people love it. Some people just say, I don't want it on Thanksgiving, even though mac and cheese is amazing. For me, it dep- it's another food that it can wildly vary depending on who makes it. That that part is very, very true. For me, though, I think I think this goes in the great category. I think it's just below elite just because of the variance. If it's top-notch mac and cheese, then it's absolutely in the elite. Some mac and cheese, just more okay. So I think, at least for me, I think I would put this in the great. Where, where do you stand? I'm going to put it in the elite, and I'll tell you why. Mac and cheese, compared to everything else on this list, is the ultimate mixer. It's the ultimate like chaser, like you have a, a rum and Coke or a whiskey and soda, mac and cheese. You can throw the turkey in there with it. You can throw the kielbasa in there with it. You can even throw the chicken nuggets in there with it. And if you're feeling extra squirrely, you can take the cheese ball, put it in the mac and cheese as well. And now you got meat, cheese, mac and cheese, which is a cheese on cheese. Therefore, cheese is elite. I'm going to go with the elite category for mac and cheese. I feel that is one kind of goes in lockstep with the chicken nuggets as well. Not every kid's going to like scalloped potatoes or stuffing or mashed potatoes. Pretty much every kid's going to like mac and cheese, though. So you got to think of the kids' table a little bit. I'm going to go with elite. I'm going to say that's an elite one. Okay, you've swung me. We'll, we'll put that in elite. Not that I one, need not, not that I needed a whole lot of convincing, but still. Oh no, you, you didn't need convince you need permission. You just didn't need convincing. You wanted permission on that one. <laughs> All right, we have three left. We have one more side and then a couple pies. Go for it. I'm I'm ready. We have green beans. I I don't even know why we're abominating this list with green beans on it. <laughs> like green beans, green beans right now just to call it as it is, is the Joe Flacco of the side dishes. It's still around. Your grandpappy liked it back in the day. Green beans have done squat for the Thanksgiving meal for about 20 plus years now. 
coincidentally, much like Joe Flacco hasn't done anything since that 2010 Super Bowl. So for me, I would love to create a bonus category of a, what in God's name is this doing on this list, but I'm going to have to settle for not for me. Yeah. Lockstep with you on that. I, I like, I do like green beans, but again, I, they're just taking up valuable room on my plate for other things. Well, and it's, are we talking green beans? Like somebody made green beans fresh out of their garden, cooked them themselves. Or are we talking about that God nasty green giant <laughs> Off color, like sad puke green mush that gets drained out of a can every year. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. Green beans to get uh, get get that weak stuff away from me. All right, we got two pies. We got apple and we have pumpkin. Let's start with pumpkin. I have a feeling we're gonna disagree on this, so I want you to go first. What are your thoughts on pumpkin pie? Important question. Follow up. Does the pumpkin pie come with whipped cream? Sure. Then it's a lean. There's no debating it. It's you, 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 we could have this debate. You would have to understand that you're wrong, and that we can move forward together as co-hosts in that regard. But but pump pumpkin pie is as much a staple of Thanksgiving as turkey, in my opinion. You have your turkey, you got your stuffing, you get your mashed potatoes, but then that first dessert that comes out is always a pumpkin pie. It's either a pumpkin pie or a pecan pie. If you get really lucky and, you're, and your relatives make like cookies or stuff like that, you'll have some cookies to go along with it, but it's always pumpkin pie. And in my family, there's a big old jar of Cool Whip or Cool Whip as it were right next to it. And you just eat like a king. So pumpkin pie for me, I put in the elite category. This is one of the reasons why when I was younger, and even when I have the time today when I go to family holidays, it's one of the reasons I make brownies every year and bring them. Pumpkin pie is absolutely not for me. I just don't I don't really? see I don't see the fascination. I just it's not not for me. Okay, so I, I guess uh, here'd be my follow up questions then. Do you like pumpkin bread? No. So you just don't really like the taste of pumpkin. I did no. I just don't like pumpkin anything. Okay. Well, see, that's reasonable. Now, if you were to tell me that you don't like pumpkin pie, but you love like pumpkin muffins or pumpkin bread, I'd be like, well, then I think you just have had bad pumpkin pie. But okay, you, you know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna we'll agree to disagree, but I will compromise with you. We can throw that into the okay category if you want. I'd be okay with that. I think pumpkin pie is very good, but we could throw it in the okay category because the other thing to keep in mind depends on how it's made. Right. If you get someone that makes a pumpkin pie that's really runny and kind of like slippery and stuff, eh, not as good. It's got to have that good, rich, thick texture to it that's still got some bite, still good, can hold the whipped cream. So I'll give you okay. I'll, I'll give you okay on that one. I've had this discussion with Bree. Brie, if you're by chance listening on your birthday, happy birthday. For, for I told her the same thing when it comes to pumpkin pie that no, don't want it, don't want anything. I have agreed to retry pumpkin pie at some point over this Thanksgiving holiday. If I do get an elite pie, I will on the sports huddle or on the next time we have the opportunity to say something, I will either agree with my original thought or completely do a 180 
if if need be. Look forward to hearing that. I hope I hope for your sake you get an elite pumpkin pie. Last pie we got is apple because again I'm I'm not a pecan pie person so I didn't even include it in the list. I got apple pie. And not it's not a not 4th of July which uh I think 4th of July you absolutely have to put it in the elite just because it hot dogs and a, hamburgers and apple pie. But as far as Thanksgiving where where were you where were you slotting apple pie? Full disclosure, I'm not the biggest apple pie fan in the world. I had that feeling. I'm not the biggest apple pie fan in the world, which probably makes me very un-American, and I've come to terms with that. Clearly. Um, now on the flip side, like apple fritters, apple crisp, all of those, the, all that stuff tastes good. I love apple. For some reason, I've never been a huge fan of apple pie. Having said that, I am going to put it in the great category. Because while I'm not the biggest fan in the world of, pump, of apple pie, I'll still eat it. It's, it's apple pie. It's as American as apple pie, as the expression goes. I'll still eat it. But... It goes back to what you can do with it. You can throw ice cream on top of it. You can throw whipped cream on top of it. It, it Apple pie is kind of the mac and cheese of desserts. You can do a lot of extra stuff with it that really enhances it and adds to the flavor. So while I personally would say apple pie is usually not for me, I'm actually going to say it's a great dish for Thanksgiving. I will be in lockstep with you on on that one as well. It's one of uh, it's one of the Thanksgiving uh, desserts that if I see it, I might have more of the ap- apple pie because everybody else wants the pumpkin pie. So I have that going for me too. See that that is you, you do have that advantage for yourself. You you get to have bonus apple pie because no one else is touching it because they all want the pumpkin pie because they're you know right, but. <laughs> All right, just to uh, recap our Thanksgiving food tier list. In the elite category, we'll get seconds. We have turkey, kielbasa, cheese ball, and crackers, mashed potatoes, and mac and cheese. In the great category, we have sausage, chicken nuggets, deviled eggs, bread, and rolls, along with apple pie. In the okay, we have honey-baked ham, scalloped potatoes, stuffing, and pumpkin pie. In the not for me, we have yams, sweet potatoes, along with green beans yeah i'm okay with this list i i I feel pretty good about this list especially the fact that green beans in the not for me category that's green beans are an abomination (laughs) like uh, i'm actually gonna put this challenge out there the listeners you can reach out to us you can find us on twitter by all means reach out to us give me a way to actually eat green beans that doesn't involve deep frying it and slathering it in like a million different sauces <laughs> where it'll taste good. And I'll change my opinion. If you can do that one, congratulations. You're a master chef. <laughs> and two, I don't believe you. And I still will say green beans are not for me, but the challenge has been laid upon you. Our dear listeners come up with a green bean dish that actually is good I will give it a try and I'll see if we can move it out of the not for me. But until then, green green beans could go exactly where Art Bryles could go on that one, Lance. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. 
On that note, that'll do it for this edition of Lance and Matt. Plus, big thank you to Kevin Harris from 11warriors.com for joining us earlier on. And join us the rest of the winter sports season from Frickers every Wednesday night from 6 to 7.30 for the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Huddle Matt and I will be live from the Frickers in Finley. And for my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Morris signing off from the Tri-County Broadcasting Studios. Thank you for listening and have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody.